0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Carolina Codecast, the official podcast of the Carolina Code Conference. I'm your host Barry Jones, and with me today is Jeremy Smith. Say hello, Jeremy. Hey, hey, how's it going, Barry? Thanks for joining us. Um, yeah. So uh, it's it's great to have you on here. You have been really, really busy uh, over the last year or so, but uh, it, a lot of people <laughs> listening, you know, might be hearing your name and, and see everything that you've been doing lately, but uh, a lot of them might not realize that you were one of the speakers at the very first Carolina code conference.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, it was 2018? 2018.
0: Right? Yep. Yep. It was, uh, yeah. was it hero dreams of sushi was the talk.
1: Oh, that was, that was, I did mention that. Yeah. In the talk. Yeah. Okay. That's All right. Right. All right. Um, the talk is called solo, um, building successful web apps by your Lonesome. Yep.
0: And so how's that working out for you?
1: Um, pretty well. I mean, I still do a (laughs) lot of that. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely been what I've optimized for over the long term. I'm so I I'm a designer developer and I run a tiny one person web studio, specializing in rails application development. And I've been doing that now for 10 years Nice. and lately. Yeah. Thanks. And um, what's that called? So lately, what's What's that? Oh, hybrid hyper hybrid. Hybrid. Yeah. H Y B R D. Um, and so in the past couple years, I've mostly focused on working with, uh, solo founders and bootstrappers. So a lot of times I'll be either the only developer on a project, or I'll be working maybe alongside the founder who might be technical, um, or maybe alongside maybe one other developer, but it's typically very, very small teams and where I have a, a large ownership in terms of, um, feature development, uh, management of the app and that, that kind of thing, nice. which I really enjoy.
0: That's, that's a really interesting model. And you know, you, so I know you, you spend a lot of time with Ruby on rails. And so does rails yeah. just lend itself to having small teams or and what's your thoughts on that? I,
1: I think so. I mean, to be honest, I haven't, I haven't worked in a lot of stacks when I found uh, rails in 2009, I just bought in completely and didn't look back. Yeah. Prior to that, I was using ASP Classic. Oh wow! Building web apps with <laughs> with that—that's—that's that's a pretty significant uh, change. And yeah, yeah, and Rails just fit my brain and fit my work life in in a way that I really liked, and um, I decided that's just kind of where I wanted to stay. I really—I've been interested in some other frameworks and and languages, but to a much lesser degree. I'm more more interested in uh, in building products than learning new technologies. Yeah. Um, I'm more on the, I think product side of things in terms of, you know, like what I, what I enjoy the most. Um, and so I've tried to just invest more in, uh, deeply learning rails and even now, like working more on understanding Ruby and Ruby internals. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Long. I mean, yeah, yeah. I've,
0: I'm, I'm very much a polyglot developer and before, when Rails came, when Rails first came out, I was working at a, at a telco I was working at what, mm-hmm. Windstream Communications, which used to be Nuvox Communications here in Greenville. And, okay. uh, you know, we didn't, they had some PHP and some Java, uh, in house. It was actually a lot of Java and a little bit of PHP. Um, mm-hmm. but there was, you know, integrating Ruby, introducing Ruby into that environment was not anything that was ever going to happen so you know i i got into PHP, yeah. which is basically everybody on rails yeah and so i i fully bought into yeah. the whole convention over configuration thing the productivity stuff and i know you know i've i have used a bunch of languages and i've i've seen the idea of copying that framework convention and you know, the convention over configuration mentality and saying okay well we just you know if we just follow this mvc pattern and we pull it into these other languages it'll be basically just the same thing but in my preferred language And the thing that I had to learn the hard way was, no, it's not. It's there. Ruby is special. And in in terms (laughs) of uh, how it's uh, a malleable language, you can actually adapt it to the job at hand. And the thing that I know, the thing that, uh, that really got me the very first time that I, the thing that made it click for me uh, was, you know, after working on a deep inheritance tree in Java, and needing to fix something a few levels up and then realizing the only way to do this was going to be to fork the library that we were using that all the stuff was inheriting from and then maintain our own copy of it just so I could do that but then in Rails or in Ruby I could just monkey patch the third level of it with like two lines of code and boom it's fixed without breaking my upgrade path I was like this is magic right here and uh you know being able to actually change the language to suit the what it needs to be and so it wasn't that rails is a framework Ruby rails actually turns Ruby into a web-based language. It modifies the language itself to suit the problem, which was really, really interesting. Yeah. That's cool. But sorry, that's my little Rails speech right there. I'm still a big fan.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, A lot of people, there's definitely the backlash against uh, rails magic and the, you know, the deeper I get, the more I understand that it's, it's not magic. Um, but there's so much to what ruby can do in terms of metaprogramming and the internals um are just like they're kind of mind blowing um yeah so it's it's been i've been working yeah since 2009 in ruby and rails and just continuing to kind of delve deeper into both and
0: uh still so what it. got you into it in the first place
1: um i started building like websites when I was 15 or 16. The first time I saw the internet, I had like connected over dial up to my dad's university where he was getting his PhD and saw my first website and was like, Oh my gosh, I got to learn how to do this. And so I started building. Yeah. I started building websites when I was in my teens and then in college started building web applications for like a department on campus and was just building a lot of stuff on my own. Um, and I went to, when I went to college, my degree was systems analysis, which is like computer science, but without the electrical engineering component. Um, And my first semester, I got my first ever D on a midterm. It was like the first D I'd ever had in my life. And I thought, I can't program. I'm not like, I, I think it was like data structures or I think that's what it was something something in there was not working for me it turns out later looking back it was like a weed out class yeah. and I was not prepared for it so I dropped out of the program thinking I can't be a program I'm not I'm not smart enough for this. this is the first time I've hit something that I just like couldn't do in at least in terms of academics and but meanwhile I'm like still building web apps on like for this this college uh, the, uh, department on campus and building sites out of my dorm room and stuff like that and Fast forward, you know, I eventually, like, realized like this hobby I had, this thing I couldn't stop doing would be a good job. I just, uh, and I just like taught myself eventually. And, uh, so, you know, graduating from uh, college, like, I what? ended up getting a, um, it was Miami of Ohio, oh, Miami Univers- University of Ohio. Yeah. And I was actually in this really cool, pro- I ended up in a interdisciplinary studies program, which is really awesome. It's perfect actually for, for anyone that's focused on what we would now call like product level, like thinking in terms of like a web product, you're thinking about like design, development, the writing, like all the pieces that come together, there's all these like disciplines that get sliced up when you go to to college, but then in the real world, all those disciplines often come back together in a certain focus area. And that's really what web applications are. Like they are like the combination of many uh, disciplines coming together to create this thing. And so that worked out really well, but I didn't learn programming in school. And I really taught myself that mostly. Um, Yeah. So eventually got, got, uh, you know, got into the field building uh, web applications for a company and um, moved on and eventually like did some freelancing for a while in my twenties, hated that. Um, And then uh, went back and worked for another company and then eventually went off on my own. The second time I got into working for myself, the big difference was the first time I went into freelancing in my 20s, I was not an experienced enough developer. Um, number one, uh, I think back then I was doing like some WordPress stuff, PHP, ASP Classics, and things like that. Yeah. But also, I hadn't developed the skills in um, consulting and client management client relationships. There's a whole bunch of stuff just Yeah. There there's a lot of soft to, like, skills learn. that, come, that you
0: know, Yeah. You learn the hard way. Yeah, so it's
1: <laughs> yes. And I did. And it was super stressful the first time around. And I wasn't really ready for that. And I didn't really have the coaching if I, like looking back now, I think like if you want to be a consultant, if you want to work for yourself, go work for an agency first. Um, Cause you'll learn all the, the hard and soft skills. Like you'll learn to how to build stuff, you know, how to, how to, um, write specs, but you also learn how to manage difficult client interactions and make sure you get paid and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't didn't do that well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I didn't do that well in my twenties, but, uh, let's see, I guess in my early thirties, uh, took another attempt at it this time. Like I left my last full-time employment and turn them into my first uh, long-term contract. And that is, if you if you want to do, um, if you want to work for yourself as a developer, that's one of the best ways to transition. Um, it's pretty underrated because a lot of times people are like, I hate my job. I want to leave this. You know, like my boss sucks or whatever. You know, I'm going to go work on my own and be free. And the reality is you're not really free. Yeah, you're always going to have people who may or may not pay you. <laughs> Yeah. So like what works, what really works, I think, is you take that, you take that um, company that you work for and if you're doing good work and they care about you and and you are a valuable member of that team, a lot of times there is a way to carve out a contract out of that where you can still deliver value but not be an employee and then go do other things on top of that. And if you're, I'm very, I'm pretty risk averse person and um, that works really well if you're risk averse so, it's a good way of putting um, it. i like that yeah thanks so that's that's a great strategy i i would recommend a lot of people uh, that's definitely a common thing i recommend to people that want to get oh, into absolutely. working on their own not everybody wants to but that's i think it's a great way to do it
0: yeah that's uh it's it's such a weird set of unexpected challenges. Like you, you have this idea of what you want to do and you, you, just, you, you want to contribute the value and then you end up hitting these weird walls, uh, that you didn't expect to get into it. So like I, I went out and did the freelance thing back in 2008, I guess it was. Mm, yeah. That's when we, that's when I started Brightball. Um, okay. Yeah. And, uh, I had a, a friend of mine, uh, Barrett Conjura, who's a director at Clemson now, but, um, okay. at the time, you know, he had a business called crazy bear and, in, uh, in Greenville and he was, he had more work than he could personally handle. And so he's, and I was looking to kind of go out of my own and he said, well, here, come help me with this stuff for a little bit. And then we can, and so we, we teamed up for like three years and then we pulled in and, uh, somebody else, Chris Coker as well. Um, and grew up to a team yeah. of three. And eventually we had like 14 people involved cause we were trying to take on so much. Wow. Um, and w- we had a, a model, where we thought we had sort of gotten a lot of the, the the client interaction stuff away from being our responsibility, so we could just focus on the work. So, what we were doing was we did white label uh, development for these other design agencies Cause, cause uh, I mean,
1: they were subbing to you the the heavy lifting on dev exactly
0: work. exactly. And so they were so when typically they would be doing design and marketing work, or they might have a have a you know, WordPress based site. When they got something heavier, they contracted to us. And that gave us a lot of different sales pipelines without us having to actually maintain our own. And then when the market crashed, everybody pulled everything in house and all of a sudden we had to go sell ourselves. And so I took that on and I learned the hard way how to do all this stuff. And I I didn't do it well, but I learned a lot of hard lessons from it. And uh, I took a sales class and during the sales (laughs) class, I actually, you know, towards the end when I already made tons and tons of mistakes during the sales class, the, Biggest two lessons that I got from it was one, apparently I was doing something horribly wrong called unpaid consulting because
1: <laughs> okay, yeah. where,
0: where somebody essentially just says, Oh, here's the problem I'm having. And I went, Oh, well, here's how you solve it, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is not good for sales, um, but it's, it's helpful. Um, yeah. and, uh, and the other thing is, is the, uh, the mantra that kind of helps me to understand sales and markets from that point forward is that people buy pain relief. Uh, and when you mm-hmm. really, when you really put it to it, when you're trying to sell anything, it's not just in terms of, you know, we're better or they're better or whatever else it's where's the pain and how can we make the pain go away and people will buy it. And there's, there's also like sorts of interesting psychological constructs that you realize just when with how a question is framed where people will respond yeah. differently to the same question, just depending on how, on how it's approached. And so coming from a completely technical background going, but this is better was not enough. Yeah. (laughs) And it was, it it was, it was an education and, you know, then the, then the whole process of actually getting paid in the client management side of things is, you don't expect to do any of that. You're just like, I I just want to do good work and get paid for it. And you don't realize just how many other things are going on around it. But uh, yeah, if you just want to do development work, you should not work for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, whenever I whenever I stopped that and I went back and did a corporate job for a while, I was like, this is like a vacation. Mm-hmm. I mean, forty hours right. a week with you know <laughs> benefits and days off and stuff like, I don't have to worry about whether or not the paycheck comes in every two weeks. It's like this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Then you're, and then you are working that. with all these other people who have just been doing this every day for um, for years, and they're just like, oh well, man, this is exhausting. Darn boss, whatever else, Mike, you have no idea. <laughs> you really have no idea how good you have it right here. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting on the opposite side of
1: that. Uh, Oh no, you're good. (laughs) I I was just going to say on the opposite side of that, I personally, for me, I, I haven't been really tempted by a full-time job in 10 years. Like I, there is something the the maybe weird benefits of working for yourself for me have outweighed like the, the downsides of having to, you know, um, Regularly talk to my accountant and manage bookkeeping stuff and, um, uh, you know, wonder if I have enough work coming in for the rest of the year and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. There are enough other benefits, but they're like, it's hard to quite describe what they are. It's almost more like a, a feeling that I have like that. That's more satisfying. Like this is at least for me, the way like and i think everybody's different so i'm not saying like everyone should do that but for me i found like this way of working fits me better and i'm able to approach my work with more contentment and satisfaction um, and more um almost like a da- daily recommitment to my clients that's an easier thing to do than than in a full-time job where you feel owned I don't know if you ever felt that like I often would feel like owned by like my, my time has been bought and paid for, you know, until I leave this place. And that's, that's a bad mentality. I shouldn't have that, but that was, that was often what I felt like, even in, even in the best circumstances. I mean, I don't know that I would
0: phrase it like that, but I know what you mean. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, there's definitely a, a segment where you, there's a big difference between having one client that you're working for full time, and that's the entire source of your income, aka a full time job, versus having yeah. multiple clients, um, because it affects your ability to to necessarily be honest when you don't think they're going to take the the news well. Um, yeah. And you know when and it, there's there's volatility factors, and when you have to say, "Look, I know you want to do it this way, but without beating around the bush, this is not going to work out well." For anybody, and they go, Okay, well, you're the problem, so you get out of the way. And like, Oh, okay, well, buy all my income. I'm glad I was honest with you about that, versus just keeping your head down and going, All right, <laughs> I'm gonna do this thing, even though it's a really dumb idea. Um, yeah, and right. you know, when you've got multiple clients, you can be more honest with them. And if they say, Well, I don't think you're the right person to help me, it's like, Okay, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but you know, we'll, we'll move on. And you know, I had uh, ultimately, you. You end up building good relationships. Usually, people end up coming back to you and going, "Man, I wish I'd I listened to you" or something like that. I Man, I've had that happen a few times in yeah. my career, but it's a uh, but it's it's a different dynamic. And there's a it's hard to express how things go basically when you have to have the money from this one person versus mm-hmm. when you've got a more diversified set of people you're working with. But the the lack of focus is tough to to manage too. That is definitely one of the hard
1: parts. Uh, One other point on that though, I was just going to say like the, the difference for me now is that I feel like I am more regularly and consciously choosing my clients on a regular basis. And I feel more gratitude when uh, I get a deposit hitting my bank account, (laughs) like more than a paycheck. Like there's something about that. Like when, when an invoice gets paid, there there's a different feeling than when you um you know when payroll gets run uh, and you're an employee i don't i don't know it's hard to describe but you don't know for sure you know until it happens yep. and so it's like okay great and and I'm granted
0: you know, again. I, we have this conversation with me having with me you know talking about the merits of the full-time job thing where i yeah. i don't have the full-time job anymore i'm back doing the the freelancing stuff again i'm just doing it differently now and The biggest thing, I know the biggest thing that always stressed me out before, whenever we tried to grow it and there were so many more people involved, was making sure that everyone else was getting paid on time. Because it's one thing entirely when you're working for yourself and somebody's late on an invoice. It is an entirely different process when somebody's late on an invoice and you need that money to pay somebody else on time. I believe it. That is
1: one reason why I have not wanted to like higher that that's like, I get stressed out pretty easily and that's the kind of stress that I don't yeah, that, <laughs> really care to have on pay, like, payroll stress at, at, at this not point at all.
0: Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, you know, that, that's why when I'm, when I'm doing this now, it is just me and I have no plans yeah. on growing or anything like that. I just want to, I, I just want to do what I can manage with my own time, but it's also easier for me to kind of, for me to do that now because you know, my wife owns a successful business mm-hmm. and that's brings cool. in a steady yeah. income. So I'm allowed a little bit of volatility in what I do. But that's Yeah. A different
1: yeah. You can handle a little bit more risk or whatever on that. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So cool. speaking of of you being able to, to do kind of different things with your time and have a little bit more flexibility, uh, you started a conference this year, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> so
1: Yeah. The uh, Blue Ridge Ruby Conference in Asheville, North Carolina. So do you look uh, at that back in June? No, I'm actually, I'm here in Greenville. Oh, here.
0: Um,
1: okay. I live at the base of Paris Mountain. Okay. Yeah.
0: So what inspired you to do this in Asheville? Um, a couple things.
1: Uh, one was before we lived here, uh, we lived in Asheville for like a year and a half. And I really loved it there. And it's a nice area. Um, Greenville has a lot of great amenities, but I thought like if I was selling a conference, um, I thought, I thought more people would know of Asheville or have it on their bucket list to visit. Um, and that, that was sort of the sense that I had. And then talking to some people I got that sense as well. And so when I threw the idea out, it just felt like pretty natural. Like people I knew in the Ruby community were like, Oh yeah, I, I'd already wanted to go to Asheville or I'd love to be back. That was like more on the map for them. And and one of the things that I, yeah. One of the things that I sort of had this theory about with regional conferences, um, I, I think about like technical conferences being like maybe broken up into sort of the small regionals and then the bigger, you know, like the bigger conferences that, um, you know, everybody goes to. So you've got the the big ones with thousands of people and then the small ones with you know, hundreds or something. And if I was going after this, like, small regional conference, part of what you go for is technical, but that's not the primary thing because you go to the big ones, you know, you can, you can see, you know, so many talks at really big conference um, and just be spoiled for options at a small conference. Not so much Um, at a small conference. You're going partly for the technical, partly for the, vibe and the relationships that form there. I find that it's easier at a smaller conference to make friends, see people over a period of time. Like You're all together, especially if it's single track. Absolutely. But then the other thing is, I think you go to smaller conferences for the ability, well, maybe, maybe to some extent, the larger ones too, but for the ability to see a place that you've not been to before. Um, so like if you're going to a big conference in Atlanta in like a convention center, you're not really getting the Atlanta, right. you know, like travel experience, yeah. but what I think can like smaller conferences can do is when people see, Oh, this is a conference I want to go to. And it's in a town that I'd love to spend time in that kind of like works together. So that was my theory yeah. that Asheville would be a kind of place that would like marry up those two things um we could have like an interesting ruby conference together it would be small intimate people can make friends but also get to visit this town that's really great it has really great food beer scene yeah. lots of great you know activities to do outside the comedy and bus like and all
0: sorts of other stuff up there
1: yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah we ended up going the, so the thing that the the thing i had really hoped was i was going to do a two-day conference thursday friday single track but on saturday i wanted everybody to stay around in town and so I organized some activities yeah. and I had three options. One was uh, going to Biltmore. I love the Biltmore. Oh, yeah. um, I so I pitched that as one thing uh, going hiking off of like driving out on the Blue Ridge uh, Parkway and going for a hike was number two. And then the third one was tubing on the French Broad down through through uh, right through town. Oh, wow.
0: And you had the, uh, almost the no one in picked... June, I guess. So, yeah. That been...
1: Yeah. So it was the time. It was yeah. perfect for this. Almost no one picked Biltmore, um, yeah, interesting. which really surprised me because I, I, we had like a season pass when we lived up there. And I love especially just going to the grounds and stuff. But hey, we've um, been talking
0: about going up there again. Now the leaves are turning and everything.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, yeah, it'd be really pretty right now. So I really like that. People didn't seem to go for that. I couldn't sell that one really well we did get a decent group to go on the hiking trip, but the thing that people actually really wanted to do was the tubing, like tubing actually worked. And it was like, uh, we had like almost 30 people, I think, um, if I'm remembering correctly. And like the tubing, I had like, had the company come and pick us up at the hotel in their bus, you know, and then they took us down the river and we, uh, hooked up all the tubes together like so you have all this like string of people you know in the water together like had like a a beer cooler like hooked in as well so you could just yell down the line like what whatever you wanted and people would pass it back up and uh and we just like had the chillest float for like two or three hours down the french broad that's Um, awesome i was like okay this is this is the experience that like you get, you come for these, you know, the technical, you stay for the friendships and the extra experiences that you get in this town. You get like this feel of a thing that you wouldn't do anywhere else. Maybe, you know, like it's a very particular experience. So that's, uh, that is I think that's, I think that's, that's,
0: that's great. I mean, the, uh, tubing down a river at a conference is, uh, is not anything that I've ever heard of anyone doing. And I think <laughs> yeah. it's a really great idea. That actually sounds like something that the Grok guys would have done. I, so the, yeah. the second episode of this, I had uh, Chris Merritt on, and he was talking mm-hmm. about all the crazy things that they did with Grok over the years. And,
1: I was definitely inspired by
0: Grok. Yeah. And so uh, I'm, uh, the two things that I thought were, were absolutely hilarious is they had a giant kickball game on floor field.
1: Yeah. I was there. Oh, nice. It was in the outfield for nice. that.
0: And, uh, and apparently at some point they were really, really well funded and managed to get everyone to go to the BMW performance driving school, which is yeah. nuts. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. That's crazy. So yeah,
0: the, uh, the activities, I don't, I did not do a great job with the activities this year with the, uh, with the Carolina code conference. And so one thing that I learned is with the single day event, by the end of the day, everybody was tired um and so we we tried to get some things together in terms of and people did they went out and they went axe throwing and whatnot a group therapy downtown Mm -hmm. and some folks hung hung around and went to um to do uh the game night hackathon and just Mm -hmm. kind of hang out over at open works afterwards for a bit but uh but the biggest thing was you know trying to to put all these options out there, you know, who's going where to do what and everything. Everybody wanted to go where everyone else was going to go. And yeah, so yeah. I really just needed to pick something. Uh, yeah. And so that people, that's
1: one of the big things I learned about running a conference. People are just waiting for you to pick something yep. that people don't like taking. Usually people don't like taking initiative, especially with a group they don't yep. know. And so they don't, there are some exceptions to this, but they don't typically make plans ahead of time or take a lot of initiative. You just can't expect it. They're looking to—it's like you're you're the host, yeah—and they're you're looking for to the host to like to set up everything. And not that you have to run down every single detail, but you're creating this space yeah. and inviting everybody into it. Yeah. Whether it's during the day or even in the evenings, to a to a degree, yeah. which feels like a lot of pressure, but it it like it pays off in the way that people connect to each other and like the experience they have. And that is like one thing that really hit me. I've never like really hosted anything like a, a party or anything like this was, but it felt like that experience. And uh, I think it like it hit that, like uh, that experience with like felt really good. It made me want to do that again. It made me want to think like, Oh, what else could I host that? I create the space for that gives other people that i care about uh, a way to have a great
0: time together absolutely and so like the the thing that we ended up not doing uh there was you know i I put out five options there were two like dinner and comedy show options because we we had the the comedy zone right down there and then we had cafe and then some Mm -hmm. um and then there was you know open works right walking distance from the building to go do an either game night or hackathon and uh, and we had group therapy, which is great, it's right down downtown, where you've got you know all these theme putt putt things and indoor axe throwing and stuff, and uh, and then all of course you know walking over to Fire Forge. Um, I was exhausted. I walked over to Fire Forge for a minute and kind of said hi to people, and then I was like, I'm I gotta go to bed. I'm tired. <laughs> but, um, but I did go and do axe throwing for a little bit, and I stopped by Open Works for a little bit. But cool. in reality, what I should have done was I should have just rented a block of tables and said. We're going to cafe and then some. Come on, everybody! We're yeah. going to go have dinner. We're going to laugh our tails off, and uh, and that's what I should have done. Um, and I might do that this year because you know this year the the plan for the conference is we're going for to a two day event this year. It'll be Friday and Saturday, mm-hmm. and cool. ideally I'd like to have some type of activity the evening in between that Friday night. Yeah. And so Friday night, if I can, assuming I can work it out, if there is actually a show and they can they can make it happen. Uh, if we can pull that off, I think it'd be, I think everybody will have a really good time with it. But yeah, uh, that's cool. But yeah, we will, we will certainly see what happens there, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, tubing is, is fantastic. Did y'all have like a a tube with a cooler in it and everything too? Did you do the full like redneck experience? Nice. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Oh yeah. 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 I had like a bunch of the extra snacks left over from the conference and like we were passing those around and
0: yeah, it was great. See, I was supposed to be out of the country uh, when when you had Blue Ridge River this year. I really wanted, yeah, the, the I remember you saying that. I couldn't yeah. make it because it was that week. It was that first week of June, and right when the kids got out of school, we were supposed to be in Costa Rica. We ended up not making yeah. it to Costa Rica because my dog got sick, and my dog was at the yeah, was at the emergency vet's office for like four nights in a row, and it was, and so we had That's to cancel awesome. the trip and everything. But still, could not make it. I think you and and uh, Southeast Linux Fest also happened at about the same time. And, okay. and charlotte yeah. i want to go to both of you, um, both of those i couldn't but yeah sorry i'm still just like dumbstruck that, Bummer, that you yeah. had you know a <laughs> bunch of a bunch of random programmers from out of town get to experience tubing in asheville that's that's fun
1: yeah it was definitely it was definitely several people's first time if i'm yeah if i'm remembering okay. any funny story? several people's first time um from the tubing oh it was funny watching people try to like they were like, oh, here's a deep part. I'm going to try to get out and then try to get back in my tube later. And they're having trouble or just getting stuck on rocks. That was pretty oh, fine. Gosh. Uh, yeah, that was that was a ride. So so, uh,
0: so, how did that work? Did you was there like a, a place that facilitated picking you up after you drifted for a, long, for a while? Or how did that actually work? So I found
1: like one of the best companies um, up there and called them and said, is there any way? Like, I'm, I don't know how to get my group from the hotel a mile down to your pickup spot. Is there any way you could bring your bus to the hotel? And they did. They were like, oh, you've got this. You'll have to like, um, we would have given you the group discount, but well now like you're kind of lose that because of the cost of the extra, uh, driving for us. But it was basically the same, same price as what it would normally be. It was super reasonable. It was like 30 bucks a person which for like three hour flow, it was just like, it was great. It was great. You know, cheaper than the more, um, really manageable, uh, just a fun way to spend the afternoon. Nice. So that worked out really nicely. And from an insurance perspective, like I felt better that it was sort of un- like, it was under the umbrella of the tubing place yeah. and their sort of liability. <laughs> so makes
0: good sense. So it's amazing the things you have to to think about when you're doing these types of events, isn't it?
1: Oh man, that was a huge one. Uh, Like what do I do about insurance and like my own liability and stuff?
0: Yep. Absolutely. Nice. So when is the, uh, do we have a date lined up yet for the next pleurage Ruby? I don't. I,
1: so I, I've been, I told my wife, I was going to wait on deciding about, next year until the end of October, which we're here. And so that is currently in process. I'm not ready to say for sure. Um, I'm leaning toward most likely not doing next year, but I would like to do it again. So the, the one of the things that I'm contemplating very seriously is like an every other year um, approach. Um, Like to be really honest, like the, Difficulty for me, especially, is the energy and financial aspects, like, to pull it That's off. Really. And I was in, like, a really good spot last, at the end of the last year, to put money down on a venue. Mm-hmm. And for me, the, like, I really want to do something like that. Like, um, we did the um, Asheville Masonic Temple. They have this really, that sounds weird, but they have this amazing theater in this Masonic oh, Temple really? downtown it is gorgeous. And one of my, I, I've seen like, uh, like one or two shows there. Um, oh, wow. like musicians that I like and it has like a really, really cool vibe. And I thought this would be the sweetest space to do like a conference. And so I really like that. Um, and I want to do something similar again, but that just means like a good size down payment on a, on a venue. Yeah. And you have to pay for the venue before you have dates and you have to have dates before you go after sponsors. So (laughs) that's on me. Right. So, which is fine. Like, but I just like, I had the money to do that last year. I like I'd worked a lot. had a, had a really good year financially. I was in a good spot to make that down payment. I'm not right now. (laughs) Like I spent so much time working on the conference and other things this year. Um, I haven't billed nearly as many hours,
0: <laughs> so, yeah uh, I can see that.
1: that there's that. And then just like the energy level of like, I track my time on, on doing the conference this year and this, this probably is crazy, but it took me 250 hours of work to, to pull off the conference. That doesn't shock me even maybe a little I put bit in too much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but that was like, at least 200 of that is like, would have been build time, you know, that I, that, you know. If I hadn't been doing this, I would have been billing. Yeah. So good chunk of change. And, um, to start the ball rolling again in January to get ready for that. The other thing was, it really took, I felt like it took six months, um, including, you know, CFP tracking down sponsors, all the marketing, everything. It felt like six months was, I just wouldn't want to try to do it unless, and so, to think like, oh man, I'm just a couple months away from having to start over again. I don't know if I could do that again. Yeah.
0: There's something to be said from momentum so. though. And, and yeah, that's definitely yeah, no what doubt. I, like what I learned. You know, when it came to you know, when it came to Joel kind of being ready to hand the thing off in the first mm-hmm. place, I mean he had started it from scratch in twenty eighteen, in twenty nineteen everybody was ready for it and asking about it. In twenty twenty everybody was ready for it and asking about it, and then it stopped. And it stopped again yeah. and it stopped again. Yeah. And yeah. People were still asking about it, but there was just, there's a huge difference in, less. in starting something that's been going, or been doing it again when you've been doing it every year and people know about it and they're yep. familiar with it um, versus starting from. Scratch. I,
1: t- I totally agree. And that's definitely one of the things that stresses me out. Like maybe I'm making the wrong call, call if I do that. Yeah. And what that's like that, that is one of the primary reasons I'm thinking I'd want to next year. Yeah not because I am re- feel ready for it, but because I don't want to lose what we already started. And I don't want to disappoint people who are like, please do it next year, please, please. Yeah. Uh, I, I really that. want to satisfy that, you know? But at the same time, like, I can only overextend myself so much. Yeah. And I think anybody that's a conference organizer, Absolutely. like, I think there's a real, it's real easy to burn yourself out. I now see this. Absolutely. But, after doing this once like i can see how easily you can burn yourself out and i can't i just can't afford that i can't afford to burn myself out
0: mentally energy wise um you also have to kind of look for for the value that you get out of it outside of just outside of just the event like personally for me i'm having a lot of really interesting conversations with people like yourself because of the conference conversations that i didn't really i mean I've, I've always been active on Slack and i i've been around the greenwood developer community for a long time but i've never been this involved in having this many interesting conversations with this many interesting people uh and yeah. that part of it is is directly a result of, of doing this conference and and seeing mm-hmm. you have the motivation that everybody has to to bring things to the area and and, and pump up the community which is which is really cool and so i, I definitely get some energy from uh, from that on the day of we had a lot of volunteers that were really, really helping. We had so many volunteers come out that made that thing run. Um,
1: That's cool. But
0: uh, you know, in, in the in-between time it, it wears you out and there's, you know, the big thing that I'm wondering whether I'm biting off more than I can chew is, is I've set a very high bar for this ridiculous conference website project that we're going to be doing. We're building a polyglot (laughs) website for a polyglot conference. It's going to be a multilingual website that every time you visit the site, it's going to be served by an API in a different language. Um, Nice. Which is going to be—it's completely pointless and ridiculous, other than the fact that we can. Which should be fun. (laughs) Yeah. But I just keep thinking about it. I'm like, am I am I setting myself up a little bit (laughs) here with this? Yeah. We'll see. Hopefully, the volunteers keep coming out and uh, and because it's it's not one that I can do entirely on my own. I mean, I can find a way to make it happen on my own, but it's not going to be nearly as good as it could be. Um, But so I guess we will, we will see what happens. But speaking of, uh, of underfinanced conferences, let's go to an overfinanced conference uh, that, Mm. that came out of nowhere. (laughs) So rails world happened this year and for the first time ever, and you went to it, didn't you? I did. Um,
1: Yeah, so let me back up and just say, like, even though like I, um, I did this conference in in uh, the Blue Ridge Conference in um, June. I haven't really been a big time conference goer until I decided last year to start just kind of going all out and doing a lot of conferences. That was kind of a it was a it was a intentional choice to start investing that way for many years, I didn't go to a lot of conferences primarily because I'm working for myself and the costs of like going to a conference, like, um, you know, it could easily be two to three grand every, you know, every conference, like yeah. I've got flight hotel for four or five days, you know, the cost of the tickets, depending on the conference, and then you know,
0: work time lost.
1: Yeah. Right. So for you many years, PTO I just when you work like, for and yourself yeah <laughs> yeah this is yeah exactly so for many years i just didn't do it or very very rarely i did grocs and things like that um the other ruby conference i went to is southeast ruby in nashville okay. i don't know if you've heard of that one but um but just didn't do a lot of conference going and last year i decided now nah, i'm gonna i'm gonna start making a bigger investment in this and um over the past year it's really paid off in a in, in in a lot of ways, um, in a lot of intangibles. And um one of the things that I wanted to do this year was I uh, went to a lot of conferences in the US last year. I wanted to do some international ones this year. And part of that is like I'm at a spot in life where I'd like to do some more traveling. My kids are a bit older. My youngest is eleven, my oldest is seventeen. Oh wow. Well. I don't need to be home quite so much to for bedtimes and things like you know there's just like it's a bit easier to leave and i want to i want to travel more i'm i've been dying to do that and so um so i actually got to speak at a a ruby conference in bucharest the week before rails world so i flew to bucharest spoke at friendly rb um there that was really awesome really um well let's let's talk about that for a second
0: before we get into rails world
1: oh sure okay so tell yeah. me about Bucharest and, um, and
0: Friendly RB. I've never even heard of this one.
1: Yeah. So um, it was put on by a number of Romanian Rubius, um, Adrian Marin. Uh, you might know. I've actually um, seen his name on Twitter. on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. He's fantastic. Uh, the whole team was great and they were such exceptional hosts. Um, it was really awesome to spend time in this city that I might norm Well, I'm, I've, I've never, I I don't get to travel that much. So I'm, I was was excited to go anywhere (laughs) that wasn't like a place I would normally go. Like, um, which is mostly up and down the Eastern seaboard of the U S right. So going to Bucharest was fantastic. I was nervous about traveling internationally. Like would I be able to get around and what if my credit card doesn't work (laughs) and what if I forget the right adapter for my MacBook and all that stuff, but everything like worked out really well. Like it was easy to, to go uh, places that the, the hosts of the conference were fantastic and super helpful. Um, I knew some other attendees and we like hung out together a lot and got to explore the city. Um, it was, it was so much fun. It was a two day single track conference. Um, I got to uh, give a talk there on, um, uh, I'm like totally blanking on my talk. Um, I'm going to get involved sushi. I can't even think of it. It didn't involve sushi, you know, it was actually like a spiritual successor to my,
0: uh, to my, uh, solo my la-
1: the talk I was talking about. Yeah. Uh, this one's called making it as an indie developer. Oh, nice. And, um, so there were a lot of tie-ins to this other talk that I mentioned, the solo talk. Okay. Um, anyway, so that, that was great. I like met a ton of people. Um, and then we, on the day after the conference, We, a a large group, maybe 20 or 30, took a two-hour train ride up into the Transylvanian Mountains. And we, like, uh, went to, we had, like, a tour of this castle. And then uh, took a gondola ride up to the top of this mountain that they do skiing on in the the wintertime. It was really beautiful. So, spent the day, basically, on, on a train walking talking seeing stuff we come down off this mountain back into this little village you know that's that's at the train state where the train station is and they have like a they're having like a festival in this village and so they've got all the food vendors out like doing a parade and we're hanging out there eating local romanian food like super good um it was just like one of the best days wow so um Kind of going back to like this idea of like the uh of the tubing, like the day after you spend, at a, you know, the, at these small conferences, you've spent like a couple of days with these people. You've like been thinking and learning and kind of expanding yourself technically or just like thinking about your career and stuff like yeah. that. And then you have this opportunity to like kind of be with those people for like another day. And that feels really great to me. Like uh, it sort of solidifies some of the friendships and relationships you form and just gives you that space to continue to like carry on the conversations that might've come out of that. And, and what I found is that sometimes like people go to these conferences and you have this opportunity to have deeper and more mani- meaningful conversations than you normally would because people are all out of their norms. They're not like in their, they're not at home. They're not in their typical patterns They're not thinking about work. They're outside of that. And you get to this deeper place with people much faster. And that to me is just like really fun. So to me, like it, it just like checks so many boxes for me in terms of the kinds of things that I like doing. Um, So were were you surprised
0: by, by Romania? I mean, was there anything about it that kind of caught you off guard or did you have any expectations when you went in? I,
1: I don't, I don't know. Like, I think it's hard to, like, I just don't like, I don't have a lot of, um, you know, a lot of times it'd be like, what have what have you seen on TV or Yeah. Movies? And you don't have a lot of contacts. I, I can't like think that. of a lot for Romania. Right. Yep. So, or Bucharest in particular. Um, so I, I had some ideas, but. The reason I um,
0: ask is like a couple of years, a few years ago, um, I was working for Demars and they, they flew me out to, uh, Varna, Bulgaria and i had no idea what to expect and it was amazing yeah uh it was absolutely and i mean it's it's right there on the black sea it's almost like a resort town where you like main street literally just goes right to the to to the water and there's all these beaches and everything that are there and like right next to the beach there's like a forest and a park right next to it and it's it's beautiful and we went and we ate outside at a restaurant we got a table outside like on the street uh like a turkish restaurant and there's literally like yeah. a goat head is on, is on the menu is like one of the things that you can order. I didn't <laughs> get that, but it was just, it was just a really, really cool experience. And the food was amazing. The people were amazing. It was beautiful. Everybody was really nice. I, I had no expectations going in to, to what to, cause you just don't hear about Varna, Bulgaria that often. Yeah. It was absolutely right. beautiful. Right.
1: Yeah. I love that. It. I think one of the things about that is like, it makes me so anxious to see so many other places in the world that I don't that I don't have any conception for right now. I can see that. Like, gosh, I just got to, like, there's so many other th- Yeah. So just like, it stirs up this travel bug for me, like to not only go to a lot of the places that have been on my list, but also a lot of places that aren't because I just didn't know they existed. Yeah. So we were actually, uh, so my wife and super. mom's
0: 20th yeah. anniversary was coming up this, this year. Yeah. And, uh, we had every intention of doing like a big Mediterranean cruise we were going to fly oh, man, out there yeah. we were going to take the kids we were going to take a week and explore on the way in we were going to do the mediterranean cruise and it was going to hit like uh Greece and Jerusalem and Egypt and we were going to stop in Cyprus um as part of it and we were going to spend some time uh, time in Athens we got back and then we were going to sort of tour Europe again on the way back and hit some different spots on the way back and now with everything crazy happening over there right now we're like you know this might not be the year to do that. And so we're, we're doing wild. a Caribbean yeah. cruise instead. <laughs> all right. But, uh, but yeah, we, yeah. we definitely had the travel buck and we had all these interesting things planned that we wanted to do, but that um Yeah, man. I know.
1: That is funny though. The year, uh, we were very, sim- very close. Like, um, my, so my wife and I, we had our 20th last no, year and thanks. Uh, we didn't, we didn't do anything cool. Like I had wanted to do, like an epic trip. We went to, um, like a couple of hours north into <laughs> into North Carolina <laughs> for the weekend or something. So, but what I decided to do for for this trip after going to Bucharest, I flew to Amsterdam.
0: <clears throat> also, really nice.
1: And I was gonna be there for a week. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I had Christy come over, and your wife uh, name We had a couple days. Yeah. Mine too. Yeah, voice. Yeah, that sounds good that's funny. A lot of similarities yep. there. Um, so had my yeah had Christy come over, and at the beginning of the week met me, and we um we had like a couple days before and after the conference to explore Amsterdam. We took the train out to a couple other places on the outskirts, um, and it was just it was a blast. That was we had, I'd never done that before, and that was sort of a test of could I like combine the the sort of work side of myself that's going to this conference and also the personal side. That's like doing this travel thing, experience with my wife. Could we combine the two and find a a way to do that? And if that works, maybe I'd do that more. Maybe I do that again next year, you know, some more. And so that was our first attempt. And I think it went pretty well. I'm pretty happy about it. Um, Other than like my wife wasn't exactly sure. Like it was kind of a little awkward, just like, okay, I'm now going to the conference, you know, like, Hope you have a good day in Amsterdam, <laughs> um, which depending on who you are, like you may or may not like that. Um, but, uh, but it worked pretty well. And, um, and then I guess getting to it now, Rails World. Yeah. It was, so where it was, was awesome. Rails World this year? It was, yeah, it was in Amsterdam and it was like down in the, I can't, I can't remember. It's sort of Amsterdam central. It's like the central spot, like, right near the central train station, pretty close to it. It's a, um, number one, like I I really love Amsterdam. I I now really love Bucharest and Amsterdam. They're very different, but I really enjoyed both experiences. The center of Amsterdam is very touristy. That part is not my favorite. We ended up staying like 20 minutes away by Metro in this really cool, like hotel, um, and, like, the, the neighborhoods on the outskirts are kind of more, like, where people actually live and stuff. I really enjoyed that more. But it was still a really cool experience to be down in the center like that. Did you ride a bike while you were there? We did not. We talked about it. Christy was saying, oh, we need to do this. I was like, I I mean, yeah, I get it. But, like, I could, I mean, it's, like, it takes a little while just to figure out how to walk in the city. Like to make sure you're like not walking on the bike paths and like you look every direction like five times to make sure you don't get hit by a car or bikes or people walking or whatever. So, um, we decided not to do that, but I think Christy probably regrets that. Um, but like it was, it was so much fun, uh, being there. And the, so I got to meet Amanda Perino, the director of, executive director of the rails foundation she came to RailsConf in atlanta back in may i think and um while well, she was getting ready to her first kind of her first big project was putting rails world together and so she was coming to see what RailsConf was like meet other Rubyists and rails folks and um sort of really good time just interacting with her and was so excited about what she was doing and really was hoping to be able to support her and be able to be there for rails world. And having done a con like having done a very small conference, I have now a much greater respect for what goes into yeah. it. And it was, it was just phenomenal. The details, the, the level of excellence across the board was just, it was, it was staggering to me. It set a really high bar for what, um, uh, a Ruby or rails conf, uh, uh, conference could be. um, yeah, I mean, they had like this amazing like uh we love we heart rails thing, like I don't know if you've seen any pictures of that, um, like it, it was made it like it was very photo friendly, like a really large display there. They like they made this big board of like the history of rails cuz it was 20th anniversary of rails or whatever, and they had like um every year and sort of like some of the details about each year and then you could go write your name where you started on rails, like, just like interesting things like that. And, um, Oh, we, we did this. Um, so I do this, I I, I don't know if we haven't talked about this here, but I do this podcast called the Indie rails podcast with my friend Jess. And, uh, yeah, so they had a podcast program. So they had, they had this like glass booth in the vendor area dedicated to, uh, podcasters in the Ruby and Rails space who could then come and interview guests there. So we interviewed oh, wow. a couple different attendees um at the conference, like during the conference, like right there, like in the vendor space. And it was that was just like really cool. So, like, really so cool. many things like that. Um yeah, and then then of course like the 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 talks were phenomenal. Um the speakers were great. Um yeah it just and the energy was like really high having now gone well, to anytime dhh is in the you room com- <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i guess that's true um i think despite sort of re- regardless of dhh i think the energy was very expected and high here for people in general um and i think part of that is due to anytime you like one one of the things i realize is like The first time you do a conference, you're setting all these expectations. And so people are on sort of like alert to what is this going to be like? And when they're excited and surprised by it, you know, positively, it creates a lot of energy, I think. And the longer you do something, the more norms get established and then people have expectations and they more or less match the way things have been in the past. And so if they're, if things are less than, then they're disappointed. If they're a little bit more, they're like, well, okay, that's fine. Yeah. But that first time you do something, no one has the expectation. They don't know what to expect. And so they get blown away and energy is really high. So I think that's part of it. Um, but also the, there was just, a, there was a lot of like really, there were a lot of really good talks and things about the cutting edge of what's happening in rails right now. And there's just, just a lot coming out. Um, there is, there's a lot of energy really in rails
0: about. 20 years on. You would not have expected this much energy, but it's, it's exciting. Yeah. To watch.
1: It feels good. Yeah. It feels good. Um, yeah. So it was, it was great. It was a great experience. I really enjoyed seeing a lot of European Rubius that I wouldn't normally maybe wouldn't make the U S circuit. Um, so like that might be the kind of one time I get to, be over on that side and get to see those folks. So that yeah. was really fun.
0: Um, and I hear, yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a get together year. here in Greenville, right? To, to watch the talks from, to watch some of the talks. Yeah. From
1: yeah. So Upstate Ruby will be putting on uh, an event. Yeah. To watch some of the talks. Is that November Is that 9th? I think it's November 9th. I'm going to look,
0: look in, in the Hack Greenville right. Slack channel real quick. Yep. November 9th at 630. Rails World Greenville edition.
1: Yeah, that'll be cool. Nice. I didn't I mean they had they had two tracks going and there were and I was doing hallway track too, so there were quite a few that I missed, but there were a, there were a lot that I really wanted to see that I hadn't gotten to so and I haven't been through all the videos myself yet, so it'll be it'll be fun to see hopefully a few of those for the first time and uh and get to talk about yeah, some of those uh um some of the topics that come out of that, yeah, get, especially for me, like the goes. turbo and hot wire stuff.
0: Um, yeah, I've been uh, I've been tinkering a little bit with uh, with turbo and hot i lately. Um, I'm, so I uh, this is a weird pride point for me, but I've managed to avoid learning any front end JavaScript framework for the last decade. Um, yeah. And I mostly just kept avoiding it because they kept changing and I d- didn't know where to invest yeah. my time. And now so whenever, uh, a couple of years back, whenever I heard about Elixir live view, like I dove in head first and that thing is phenomenal. It is, it is absolutely incredible. The, the stuff that you can do with it. Um, and so, but you, you just can't beat the productivity of rails. And so for any of my little yeah. personal stuff that I do, all I care about is my own productivity and how fast can I get, you know, can I get this thing out the door? And uh, yeah. so I started diving into uh, to Turbo and kind of learning that. And I was asking for, for a little bit of help in the in the the with Slack the other day and they pointed me to this hotrails.dev tutorial, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I understood everything a lot better after going through that. I was able to go through it in about four cool. hours. Um, yeah. But uh, it's interesting after after getting into live view, seeing the differences that are on here, because there's no question when you get into the scalability of the model, the live view ways got to beat by a mile. There's, there's no question, yeah. but the productivity gains right. of just avoiding replication of work and just capitalizing on the things that you're already doing and the patterns you're already following and everything for the most part kind of just works. And then when you need to tweak it, you can, and it's not that much extra work. It definitely hits yeah. the, this is good enough. Uh, and it, it gets the job done and it gets the job done a whole lot faster. And it's, uh it's, it's fun. And so I'm, I'm I'm suddenly very passionate about all these like server side, avoid writing front end JavaScript side of things. Cause it, it almost feels like me yeah. getting a chance to take a victory lap on, on a terrible decision. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. Uh, I avoided
1: learning react for a really long time. Just, yeah. I just avoided projects that did it. Yep. And what's interesting is, you know, like DHH, I don't know if in the past year or sometime he wrote this post. Um, about the one person framework. And I don't agree with a lot of the stuff he says, but that I am totally on board with. Mm -hmm. That is exactly what I've always cared about. Not that I always want to work on my own. I know I've, I've done, I've done a lot of independent solo one person stuff, but, um, small teams, like I love what one person or small teams can do. Agreed. Um, with a, with a really sharp tool, you know, like with a really good framework and, um splitting out front end uh, and having sort of a high level of complexity on the front end makes that really difficult yeah. for a small team or one person to get very far. It does. So it makes sense in many, many uh, contexts, but well and I do, small, I do management
0: consulting doesn't. now too, and one of the biggest things that people don't realize when they're talking about development teams is the, the additional communication channels that grow every time that you grow the development team. Uh, and so, I mean, if, cause yeah. if you, if you've been just envisioning like a triangle and you've got a developer on every dot, there's three points of communication. If you add a fourth one, all of a sudden you've got not just four, but there's an extra point in between, extra point in between. So now you've got six channels and when you grow and when you grow to like a 12 person, team, all of a sudden there's about 70 different communication channels between people. <laughs> and everybody's not on top of anything. Everybody's not communicating and working together effectively. Small teams just work better. Um, and so, and larger companies try to solve this by having a bunch of small teams but then you still have to coordinate all those small teams on what they're working on whether they're working in isolation or not and it's you know if the the way that i always describe you know the experience of of productivity when it came to to working with rails is if you find something that you have to do more than once there's probably a way to stop that (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's yeah. it's really big on productivity, but so we're we're over an hour here at this point. Uh, is there anything else you want to close out with? Anything else you want to tell the audience?
1: Um, man, I'm trying to think. You going to visit Upstate Ruby uh, yeah.
0: Greenville edition for the uh, November 9th event?
1: Yes, right. that is on my calendar. I as long as nothing crazy happens with my household, then yes, I should be there. Excited to talk more about see the talks I missed and chat chat about those topics. I think that's going to be great Hope to get out um, there too. That should be a lot of yeah. fun.
0: Um, all right. So, and, uh, yeah, I got to get my final plug in. Thanks again to herd media for helping to, uh, to coach me through this. And, uh, if you're looking to set up a podcast, and I need some professional assistance and, in, uh, in managing or distributing it. They are the people to talk to. So thanks again to herd media. This has been the Carolina Codecast.